You're listening to Deal Talk with 7MA, providing invaluable insight into investment banking and the M&A space through honest conversations with industry thought leaders, business pioneers, and innovators. We'll pull back the curtain and give you the inside scoop on trends in our targeted industries and provide you the tools to better position your company in today's market. Welcome to 7MA Deal Talk. We are here today with Rod Martin, Chairman and CEO of Voya Financial. And we also have Jim Galley, an insurance industry veteran with Jim, I don't want to age you, but over 30 years of industry experience at companies such as MetLife, AIG, and MassMutual. And now Jim is with PPI International, which is a firm that actually Seven Mile partners with in the insurance space. So Jim's a good good friend as well. Gentlemen, how are you doing this morning? Very well. Excellent. Excellent. Well, for those of you that that Nevoya has undergone a significant transformation over the past several months. In December, the company announced its intent to sell its individual life business to Resolution Life US. And, and the decision effectively took the company from out of the retail individual life insurance market to focus more on retirement investment management and employee benefits. And I think if you look at that timing, certainly just excluding all the things that were going on with, with COVID anyway, but if you look at that timing with respect to low interest rates, some of the technology challenges that confront the industry, aging, agent populations, et cetera, it's sort of a, it's, it's an interesting timing. And, w- and we'll get into that and some other topics in, in a moment. But before we do all that, maybe we should do some introductions. Rod, maybe I'll hand it over to you first for, for you to introduce yourself. And then, and then, Jim, you could do the same. Thank you. And good morning. I'm Rod Martin. I'm the chairman and CEO of Voya Financial. I joined Voya in 2011 to help prepare the business and the balance sheet to go public. We went public in May of 2013. And as you just mentioned, we we are now focused on core businesses that are fundamentally workplace and institutional focused. So our retirement, investment management, employee benefit business, we've got 6,000 employees. We've got approximately 14 million individual or institutional customers. We're a Fortune 500 company. We've been fortunate enough in the six plus years now we've been a public company to have have garnered the number one brand associated with retirement in a relatively short period of time. Previously, I was with Jim at uh, American General and AIG. At AIG, I was the uh, COO of the Worldwide Life Platform and the CEO of the American General Life Companies, CEO of Alico and a few of the other associated companies. And prior to that, I was with Connecticut Mutual. So a very long uh, career, but very happily with with Voya. And it's been a fascinating transformation as we took the company public from the ING group. We've made a deliberate path and choice that I know we'll unpack and unfold here of uh, exiting the variable annuity business, exiting the retail annuity business, now uh, exiting the life business to be focused on the workplace and financial institution focused area. And with that, I'll throw it to Jim. Thanks, Rod. Hey, everyone. I'm Jim Galley, and I've been lucky enough to cross paths with Rod a couple of times in my career. I started off way back through an underwriting path, and that's where I first met Rod at Connecticut Mutual, and subsequently have merged into a few different other areas of our our industry, both in the U.S. and internationally, have overseen different business units and distribution, marketing, product at first 
Connecticut Mutual, Mass Mutual, stayed after that merger for a little bit, then AIG, MetLife, and most recently Legal in General. It's my, my most recent corporate assignment overseeing strategy and innovation there and sales and marketing. And for the last couple of years, though, trying something new, I've been an independent consultant, as Leroy said, so I'm really, really pleased to uh, be involved with a lot of things happening in the industry. And we couldn't help but think that Rod could share some really interesting insights as to his perspective, not only at the helm at Voya, but maybe what else he sees happening in the industry. So thanks again, Rod. Cuba. And Rod, uh, you know, J- Jim and I work on transactions for a living, so we're definitely excited to hear from you, just your perspective on what drove the decision that you've been executing on in terms of exiting the retail the retail life business. So what, as, you, as you were thinking about that and contemplating, what, what were some of the dynamics you were considering and what, what drove you to exit the business? We introduced in, um, in November of 18 our most recent three-year plan. And with that, we had just announced the exiting of kind of the journey from of the from part of ING Group to the two part of what we've chosen to be in with Voya. As I mentioned a moment ago, we exited the variable annuity business, we exited the retail annuity business, and we announced in December of last year the decision to stop selling new life insurance and announce the transaction with resolution. So it's been a a journey about uh, really what we wanted to become from the assets that we took public uh, from ING Group. And fundamentally, we have chosen to focus on the workplace and, and the institutional business. I'll come back to that. What made the decision was largely looking at the landscape, particularly with we've been in one of the longest macroeconomic cycles that most of us have experienced in in our careers, uh, which has been terrific, uh, and Voya and many other companies have been beneficiaries of that. Having had a global role before, the idea that interest rates can go low and stay low is not an unusual concept, and that influenced the decision. So two years ago, we did a transaction with Apollo and Athene, and we stood up a new company called Venerable, in that we transacted the variable annuity uh, platform, and we sold our retail annuity business to uh, to their companies, Athene. And then uh, the subsequent decision was first stopping selling new life insurance, which was non-trivial for us. We've been in the life insurance business 100 years. So it was very much part of the fabric of who the company was. But with the prospect of lower interest rates for longer and focusing on more capital-light, high-growth, free cash flow businesses, we made the decision to stop selling new life insurance and then subsequently, the decision to uh, stand up a new company with Resolution called Resolution USA. And we are intending to close that transaction in September of this year. have made great progress with Resolution and the regulators and happy to further discuss. So it was, it was more of a choice of our scan of the environment over the next three uh, to five years and, and candidly leveraging the capital light, high free cash flow businesses that we were in. Yeah, th- thanks for that. So what have you viewed as some of the larger challenges in terms of executing the decision after it was made? Well, look, any time you announce a transaction from the, the announcement until close, naturally that a lot of folks that are going to question in the environment, uh, can you close a transaction? Uh, will the regulators support the transaction, particularly with non-traditional buyers? And can you get it done in the period of time and on the terms and conditions that you've outlined at the time of the announcement? And certainly none of us saw 
in the December of last year when we announced this COVID. We certainly all understood the, the macro environment. Resolution has been, it's a UK-based company, has been in this business doing, buying books of business and managing those books of business very successfully globally, but not in the US, and had been looking for a platform. So think about a legal entity, people, in this case, the Voya employees, and the brand that they could use as their platform to roll up other businesses with a consideration that they may be a better owner of some of these assets longer term than uh, perhaps some traditional companies. We certainly believe that ourselves, had lots of conversations over a period of time, uh, made a decision to do this, and we feel very good about the transaction and we're on schedule to close it, but until it's done, it, you know, it's, it's not, and we're targeting third quarter of this year. Okay. So just from a deal like execution perspective, and we feel this a lot at 7A because we're in the business every day of trying to execute on transactions. How is this the current, like everyone's got to work from home, the whole COVID-19, how has that impacted, if at all, just the ability to just simply do the nuts and bolts tactics of trying to execute a transaction, or has it been relatively seamless? Excellent. Good question. And it has been relatively seamless. And, uh, and let me share a few of the reasons perhaps why. One of the things that uh, we've got 6,000 employees at Boya and 20% of the employees are something we called internally for some period of time virtually orange. And what that, what that means to us internally is these are people that have been permanently virtual by choice. So we've, we've, we've had a lot of experience in, you know, we've got over 1,500 employees pre-COVID that have been operating virtually from multiple geographies in the U.S. And we've got the infrastructure and the tools to be able to do that. So with COVID, we naturally moved as many companies did. We are now uh, all but a few hundred people working virtually. And uh, honestly, that's gone way better than most people expected. And I would say better than I expected. And we really haven't missed a beat associated with the, with the transaction. One of the key questions that uh, a lot of people had was, well, what about the regulator? Are they as well equipped in, uh, in working virtually? And, uh, and what's their willingness to do so and their capacity to do so? And this has been one of the real pleasant upside surprises. Uh, we've had unbelievably su- unbelievable support from the regulator, including even weekend calls and working virtually. So I think it's a great example of everyone, particularly in COVID, trying to do everything they can to help the economy move forward and transactions happen. And I, I've been really pleased. So, of course, Voya is motivated to do this. Resolution is highly motivated. They've been looking for some period of time for a business platform and a legal entity to do this. They've got a 20-plus year history of executing transactions well and effectively. And so we are, we are continuing to communicate as recent as our most recent earnings call on the, you know, a few weeks ago, first quarter earnings call, we are absolutely on schedule to stand up this company and execute the transaction. And we're largely using the playbook we did when we did the transaction with Voya, with Apollo and with Athene a couple of years ago. So we stood up a brand new company, Venerable. We fully executed that transaction. It's done very well for them and for us. And we fundamentally taken that playbook and are implementing that here and standing up uh, again the resolution today. Hey, Rod, if you don't mind, Leroy, on this topic of um, working from home, but in general terms for the total workforce, 
It's maybe because of Virtually Orange. Were you and the management team pleasantly surprised about the effectiveness of all employees? Because some companies pre-COVID were kind of negative about working from home. If it were pervasive, they just felt you couldn't get the job done other than some specialty occupations. I think now well, companies are realizing, wow, we can do it. Jim, and I, and I, and I would put us, I think we had a little more open approach given we had 1,500 people already doing it. But the idea of going from 1,500 to nearly 6,000 and doing that in, in about a week's period of time was, it's a big take a deep breath and hope like heck it, it works out. It has been unbelievably effective. And because of that, we are being very thoughtful and careful, as many companies are, about the glide pack path back to return to office. Jim, as you're aware, we've got multiple geographies, which is really a part of our legacy of acquisitions in the U.S., but our primary right. locations in the U.S. in no particular order are Windsor, Connecticut, Minneapolis, Atlanta, in the, in the greater Phoenix area. Of course, we'll follow you know, all of the local and uh, regional guidelines, but we are going to come back slowly and very thoughtfully because of the effectiveness of how people have been. In fact, we announced two weeks ago that uh, the earliest we would uh, open our offices would be post-Labor Day, and we would give our employees 30, 30 days notice. And we're going to use this as a way to really test ourselves on, can that 20% that are virtually orange today be 30% or 40%? And do employees have a desire to do so? And if so, how do we feel about that? And how does that affect kind of our geographic coverage and, uh, and all the rest? So we're looking at this as, uh, as an opportunity to be even more aligned with what our employees would like. And you might find interesting, Jim, we do, like many companies, uh, an organizational health survey from, from period to period. And one of the things it measures is just employee satisfaction. And consistently, and this has been for some number of years, our virtually orange group has been our, our most satisfied group of employees. And so that's uh, highly instructive in terms of our thinking about how we expand this perspectively. So I've been fairly traditional in my thinking. I didn't think we could be maybe much, a lot more virtual than uh, we've been. I am very comfortable to say I think I was wrong about that. And I think it's, uh, it's perfectly okay for, for people to make those kinds of choices. And we just need to sort through how that works for us. That sounds fantastic. It's all around this new normal idea. Indeed. People are needing to reevaluate their previous thinking, and this, this could be one where it's really working out to the positive. That's great. What are some of the other implications that you see in a post-COVID world? Like, are there new product innovations, or are there new means of communicating with customers? Or What, what, what do you think will be some of the residue that we're left with once, hopefully, we get back to some sense of some sense of normal? Yeah, it's a really good question. I, I, I'll give you a, a data point that we shared on, on our earnings call that uh, in the first three months of the year, now remember, we, most of us didn't really move to a, a COVID reaction until kind of mid-ish March. Of, of the, so the first quarter fundamentally was as normal as any, I suppose. And just using Zoom as an example, in the first three months of the year, we did 3,000 Zoom meetings. In the month of April, we did 6,000 Zoom meetings. And think about those as meetings just like we're doing, or think about those as opening and closing cases. Again, we're fundamentally a B2B company, so we're a workplace and financial institution company. And a lot of the, the work we do, because we're a business-to-business -business company, 
can be done and is being done much like we were doing previously, except we're not physically with people. Uh, we're doing it just like we are today. And it's early, and I'm not trying to draw any, to take a data point and say, this is how things are going to be for the rest of the year. But a couple of data points you might find interesting. In the month of April of 20, we opened more new 401k cases than we did in the month of April of 19. In the month of April of 20, we had more growth in our small mid corporate 401k business than we did in the previous year. So there's a lot of business happening that isn't in the popular press or frankly being discussed. We've got a huge geographic footprint and, uh, and worked through some phenomenal uh, advisors, consultants, uh, intermediaries in, uh, in enabling that to happen, but there is business going on. So part of what we've learned is that companies are still, and this is small, medium, and large companies, are still needing to do business, wanting to do business, and in fact are. Now, that isn't to say this unemployment thing in certain sectors is very real, it's very serious. Fortunately, we have been less affected by some of those sectors than, uh, than others. But I, I do think it's opening advisors' minds, consultants' minds, and financial institutions' minds to, we used to get on an airplane and fly to go do that meeting, and perhaps we could have one person there and, and the rest of the team that needs to be part of that conversation, just like we're doing today. So I, I do think it's going to significantly change the landscape. Right on that point, I wonder also in terms of, you mentioned advisors and consultants, what the ultimate consumer, especially in your employee benefits business, I know it's very early to, to know what's going to happen in fourth quarter benefit enrollment, but there's a lot of buzz that I'm reading that says employees really are going to appreciate their benefit offerings and companies could see much higher take-up rate on voluntary products just because the need for protection across the board, life, disability, all kinds of products around this protection, including retirement protection. It's just more aware. People are more aware. Do you have any thoughts on that? Although it's just so early right now that predict I, fourth I quarter. And Jim, you and I've lived through this in our AIG days. And uh, yeah. the last significant one of these was SARS that we lived through. And post that, we saw the take up rate of similar products in that marketplace significantly change, meaning greater adoption, greater participation. Right. Most of our enrollment in our group benefit business is a one-one renewal. In fact, 80% of the business we do. So if you think about this year, the majority of our, our business was already enrolled and done by the time the COVID thing hit. Now, we are already active in the early stages of enrollment for 2021. And I do think, Jim, uh, the fastest growing segment for us and many that are in the voluntary benefit business has been voluntary benefits. Now, how one enrolls that is going to be different using tools like we discussed on this uh, during this conversation. But I do think there will be even a greater adoption of these products. There's going to be a greater appreciation that they do fill a gap. It is needed for many, many people. And uh, we are very optimistic about that perspective. I think we're finding exactly, as you said, historically, when unfortunately, when, when bad events happen, whether it's 9-11 or SARS or earthquakes and other things around the world, people's radar gets more focused on, do I have enough coverage? And I think even regulators are responding. I think there's some loosening up of rules where it used to be, no, nope, you're locked and loaded for the year. I think even the regulators are saying, do we really want to penalize people for making changes in their plans? Is there a way we can 
address the, the, this new world where what they chose in November may not be relevant in in April. And, and uh, I, I think we're going to see more from the regulatory front, perhaps as well, to allow for benefit programs to be more flexible. I would agree with that. Rod, are there any other implications of, of COVID that you're anticipating in your business? It's very hard to predict. Everyone's looking for this magic moment on when do we return to an in-office pace. And I, and I, I really, I'm in the camp that this has been a, a significant shift and that companies, and I'll speak for just for Boya, that we, we are really thinking through what return to whatever the new normal is going to be. And as, so I mentioned, for example, our virtually orange thing. I, I fully expect that we will expand that. And I think there will be a certain number of employees that are going to be very open to that and others that aren't. And we're trying to be accommodating on both fronts. But we've been public for nearly seven years at this point. We've made these strategic choices in terms of the portfolio construct of what we inherited from ING Group and what we've chosen to be in now. I do think companies that are far more focused on capital light businesses, products, and solutions that are less tied to interest rates are going to be far more uh, adaptable and flexible than, than if you happen to be in, uh, in the longer-term guarantee business or the long-term care business or the variable annuity business or the retail annuity business, just given the challenges that a low interest rate environment you know, just simply poses. Those are choices that we made, fortunately, seemingly at about the right time. And uh, I'm very bullish about the businesses we're in and, and the aspects of growing those businesses go forward in a new environment. Will the products change? I suspect so, but uh, I think it's going to be far more about how do we serve, how do we serve the people in the business with the portfolios that we have? And I think that's going to be different. I think doing business through some of the means and methodologies that we've talked about is going to, uh, there's going to be some people that will still want you know, kind of a face-to-face uh, enrollment, but others that uh, will want it purely digital or purely uh, electronic like we're doing today. I think our approach and philosophy is we want to serve them how, when, and where they want to be served. Yeah, I think that the capital light is a, is an operative phrase there. I think, and I think you guys identified this some, some time ago, that just the ability to add value, provide value to customers via education and experience, and things of that nature versus a capital intensive model. I think, you know, it just reminds me of there, there are themes that existed prior to COVID that have just been further accelerated as a result. And I think you guys tapped into that some time ago, and I hope we'll continue to, to benefit from that. Jim, do you agree with that or what, what's, your, what's your take? Yeah, I, I really do. And we don't, it's, it's again, so early, but what we're seeing around the industry, it, just a lot of thought being given to how this changes a lot of elements of, of you know, human behavior, consumer behavior, not just employee behavior that we talked about. Do people want access to these solutions, to these important solutions more readily, more digitally? And there's still a lot of questions because there's a lot of distribution channels that rely on face-to-face, that rely on a lot of high-touch. And that doesn't go away, but it might be supplemented or, or enhanced with, with digital or video or uh, who knows, avatars or something are going to be projected through holograms into people's living rooms. I, who knows what the future will bring. But it, the thing that's interesting about this is that this requires a lot of change, 
and introspection, but the need has never been higher. I mean, just as Rod mentioned earlier, historically it's been the case, and now it is too. We're seeing nothing but companies we know that are addressing this issue face on about how to get consumers' needs met through engagement tools of all sorts are benefiting from it because it's not like people are burying their heads. They know they need to do things to provide better solutions for their families, and now they're scrambling how do I do it? Can I do it at work? Do I need to talk to an agent? Do I need an advisor? And that's, that's, I think that's good for all of us as a society because education levels are increasing, interest levels to address an unmet need that we've been talking about as an industry for decades. How we're just not meeting people's needs as an industry. So there could be an upside to this that opens people's minds to, to really proactively seek out the solutions they need. The platforms that we deliver may change, but we certainly know in our industry <laughs> how to meet those needs. Right. Okay. Rod and Jim, I appreciate very much your time this morning, and stay healthy. Uh, Thank you. You too, Leroy. You too. Thank you, Rod. Appreciate it very much, guys. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Deal Talk with 7MA. You'll find more information and resources based on today's discussion exclusively on our website. If you're looking to dive deeper into today's topics, head to 7mileadvisors.com to speak to one of our bankers today. That's the number 7, M-I-L-E-A-D-V-I-S-O-R-S.com. 7M Securities does not make any investment recommendation for any company or security that was discussed, nor does the firm offer any tax advice. Consult your tax advisor for any tax matter that might apply to you or your business. 